Throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourself? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. It's time to listen and learn. Hi, and welcome to this hilariously funny, we hope, episode of Things Worth Considering. I'm your host, Gord Riddell, and I am here with Dr. Jan Hill, as always. How are you, Jan? I'm great, Gord. Are you great? I'm great. Are you joking? Everything you ever (laughs) wanted to know about humor? I'm fantastic. Cool. I like humor. You like humor. You used to be a stand-up. I did. And then and I. Now you sat down. I sat down. <laughs> you can see that one coming. Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, humor is such an important part of our lives. Um, now, I'm not a joke person per se. You know, um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm a I'm a storyteller. I, f- I hopefully tell funny stories with funny outcomes, or whatever. Now, how did I get there? Is because I was trained that when you're a speaker, you have to either make him cry. Or make them laugh, but that you've got to give some sort of an emotional response out of them, and then they'll remember what it is that you're talking about, especially when I'm teaching. Yes, that's actually true, and there's a significant amount of data that actually indicates that um, your cognitive capacity, like your cognitive capacities, increase when you are emotionally engaged. Exactly. So if you're laughing your head off, or in fact if you're angry, you have a tendency to remember more. Yes, and I do that to all my students. Either you anger them, <laughs> angry at me, or they're 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 laughing. Uh, the odd one is is maybe teary eyed, mm-hmm. but it's yeah, it's it's, it's that emotional response. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's my joke. Okay, uh, and it's clean. Okay, all right, it's clean. So there's these two women, and they're sitting outside, and says, "You know, dear, I'm having a lot of big trouble with these new computers. I'm, the password thing, I can never remember it." Uh-huh. She says, "Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I got my grandson." Got my grandson to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, what, you, what did he do? Well, I always kept getting error messages. Whenever the passwords, I could never remember anything. So now the computer tells me what it is. Oh, oh how did you arrange that? Well, it always keeps coming back and it says, I can put in anything and it comes back and it says, your password is incomplete. And I can go, oh, I just put in the word incomplete and boom, I'm inside the machine. Da, 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 da. There <laughs> I just think it's really cute. Uh, these two old women going, yeah. I just said, your password is incomplete. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm also, you know, one to see, like, that was particularly funny for me when I saw the two old ladies, which is hence where the The two Scottish old ladies. The two Scottish old ladies. Right. Sitting somewhere in Scotland who probably hate computers. Right. And, uh, in their wellies. Exactly. <laughs> no, With they sheep all around. Wellies. They were wearing very chic dresses, yes, of course. Yes, yes. They were out in public. Yes. 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 What about you? You got a joke? Oh, yeah. I got a million got jokes. A million I got a million them. jokes, dude. Okay, yeah. okay. So teacher is sitting in a classroom teaching his student uh, um, math. And the teacher says, if I gave you two cats and another two cats and another two cats, how many cats would you have? And the kid says, seven. And the <laughs> teacher says, uh, no, listen carefully. If I gave you two cats and another two cats and another two cats, how many would you have? And the kid says, seven. And the teacher says, okay, let me put it to you differently. If I gave you two apples and another two apples and another two apples, how many apples would you have? And the kid says, six. Teacher looks around, scratches her head, says, okay. Now, if I give you two cats and another two cats and another two cats, how many cats would you have? And the kid says seven. And the teacher says, kid, what in the heck do you, where do you get the seven from? And the kid says, because I already have a freaking cat. <laughs> but a bum. Uh, that's funny. I think that's funny. I think it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny. I mean, there's so many different kinds of humor out there, isn't there? There is. There's lots of kinds yeah. of humor. And, yeah. you know, it reads this question of what is humor, right? And humor is really a historical term that actually comes from ancient Greeks um, who thought about sort of the state of balance, our emotional balance, as being related to uh, sort of the balance of fluids in our body. You mean it's not? I know, shocking as it is, right? <laughs> so uh, there was a ba- if there was a balance of fluids in our body, we would be able to control our health and our emotion. And um, this could actually be affected by outside sources, like a draft or something like that. You know that idea that you're not supposed to sit with wet hair by the open window? Exactly. By a draft? Yeah. So that's because this idea is that the world is filled with humors or that, or that that kind of draft will affect our humor. 
And so when they say you have a good sense of humor, what they're really saying is that some outside force has upset the balance of uh, rationality in your body, the balance of emotions, and you've been sort of overcome with uh, something giggly and silly, something from the outside. Really, really. Yeah. Now, see, I was always like, oh, you're, you know, if you sit in that draft, you're going to wind up with a sore neck or, a, yeah. you know, nobody said you'd be having a good time. Yeah, uh, I know. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know what? I think it's also contagious. Of course it is. It's right? really contagious. You know, when I was when I was little, my brother and I, um, we would be in the back of the car and we'd start, for, I couldn't even tell you what, we'd yeah. start to giggle and to laugh to the point where we couldn't even look at each other yeah. and we would be laughing so hard. And then that would upset probably my mother or my father. And then, what, then my father would be like driving and, and he would be, the other hand would be behind his back trying to grab one of us right. in the back seat while my mother's yelling, Jim, Jim, watch it, watch it. Because yeah. uh, sometimes <laughs> what's funny, right, is somebody else being funny. And this has a lot to do with observation and distance, oh. right? We're going to talk about that yeah, shortly for yeah, sure, yeah. right? Because that's yeah. a component of what's funny. Because right? we used to we used to just nonstop laugh and then of course it came to, you know, if you don't stop laughing, by the end of the night, someone's gonna be crying. Right. Well, of course they will, Ma, because you're gonna hit one of us. Yeah, yeah. Too much silliness, <laughs> too, too much, much silliness. clowning around. That's right. That's you know, right. so this is what we know from our personal experience about humor, right? Is that it's affected by lots of things like culture, like maturity, like education, uh, intelligence, social context, right? And habit, yeah. among other things, right? Especially social context. That's yeah. That's really big. Exactly, and, yeah, right? Yeah, there's, there's tons of different theories about humor. Like, it's, it's, I remember finding out some time ago that they had a PhD, basically, in humor that you could do. And I remember thinking, wow, that's cool. totally Amazing. Can you imagine studying at that level of depth, this whole idea of humor? I would love it. Yeah. But what that tells me is that there's a lot of stuff out there on humor that we can understand, right? That we can think of sort of intellectually and academically to explain what we think of as a very human response to things, right? So there there are different subsets of theories. There's psychological theories, right? So humor is like a mechanism that keeps us healthy. It it actually is something that we do to offset trauma and stress, for example. Yes. Absolutely. Right? That's for me. Yeah. Then there's physiological <laughs> theories that like uh, laughing, for example, in, uh, releases stress through the endorphins that happen, right, that, that are released. Or the shaking body is actually really good for realignment, neurological realignment. The diaphragm and gets a workout and it changes our breathing patterns and helps us yep. reset these breathing patterns, right? So, so getting so if you get a little drunk and you start getting all giggly and it's actually really, really good for you. Could be really good for you. So this all this is is garbage that they're telling it's bad for us. It's yeah. actually really good for Just us. Watch where you're walking, because you don't want to <laughs> fall through an open manhole cover. Well, that's true. Or, or, or a person hole cover. Exactly. Yes. There's actually there's spiritual theories as well, right? So this is the idea that humor is a gift from God. And it's uh, like an inexplicable mystical experience. Really? Yeah. Oh. So God had a sense of humor. I didn't get a bow on mine. <laughs> <laughs> My big favorite one, though, is this idea that there are social interactions, right? Theories about social interactions that are important. So humor actually facilitates belongingness, right? So, yep. for example, we know that a couple that laughs together stays together and that laughing together increases when people actually share the same sense of humor, the same kind of thing that they find funny um, is shared amongst the two of them. So, um, so there's, a, there's actually a, a, a model called the social tra- transformational model, if I remember correctly. And um, this is the idea that humor creates transformation in two, two ways. And these two ways actually facilitates belongingness, a sense of belongingness. Really? So it's a way, from an, a way for an outsider to move to be an insider. And the first way is that it actually changes the meaning of the social thing that's happening. Hmm. So if, I don't know, if you're at a wedding and something happens and I don't know, the bride falls over or something, <laughs> right? Like, let's say, right? And, and the people who might have felt they were outsiders somehow, right? They were just visiting and they didn't know the people very well were getting married. They share a common experience with the other ob- observers, Right. And so there's a social transformation now in the nature of the relationship, right? But there's also a social transformation in the nature of the meaning of the ceremony. Because now the meaning of the ceremony has gone from being like maybe super somber so, and all that kind of stuff and very official and formal to being something that's like, oh, wow, we actually all can participate this in some way as being, you know, by being observers. By through laughter. You yeah, know, being the laughters. observer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, my... Uh, 
my mother at an elderly age, <laughs> um, who's passed away now, but she remarried after my dad died. Mm. And when they, I mean, it was it was right out of the Golden Girls, one of my favorite shows. Yes. Um, and there was these elderly people, and they were all dressed, and they were getting married, and so on. But when they got to the front, and the the uh, uh, officiant asked for the ring, the old guy who was like ninety something, who was the best man, couldn't find the ring. No. And so my mother's over there, and she's putting her hands through his pockets and the whole thing, <laughs> trying to find the ring. And it just then became that observational humor of people laughing. My mother was not giving up on finding the ring in his pockets. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. all excited because no woman's had his hands uh, in his pockets for quite for a while. while. He's, he was at least 96. Yeah. Uh, it was hysterical. Yeah, It yeah. was very hysterical. Yeah. But yes, that's that observational piece. And and certainly I know that when, you know, when, when since I work with groups and so do you, with mm-hmm. classes and so on, that laughter that you begin to initiate at the very beginning of the year, that, that becomes such a bonding source. Totally builds community. Yeah. Totally builds community. Yeah, I have to yeah, definitely attest right. to that one. And here's another thing about that, like just a little factoid, is that laughing produces endorphins, which actually make information travel faster through the brain. So this goes back to this idea that... Um, you know, it facilitates learning. Really? Yeah. Really interesting. But that's, that's the whole emotional thing that I talked about at yeah. the very beginning. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, the tragedy, one of the tragedies, I guess, suppose is, is that if you can laugh while you're learning it, wouldn't it be nice if you can laugh while you're on the test, you know, recalling exactly. it? Exactly. But you can't because the yeah. test is this really somber occasion. I know. I know. I and, you know, uh, a, a gentleman uh, who I've worked with in way in the past uh, has a book out called uh, Zero Trance, Dr. Adam Crabtree. And he, in this book, and <clears throat> the study that he did was to look at um, in the state that we're in when we learn mm. is if we ha- can replicate that state, yep. we will have full recall yep. of what's going on. So I thought, well, you know what? I learned mostly French when I was drunk. So if I got really drunk, I'd probably do well on the French. French exams. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, learning was, theory is all caught up in that too, right? And this is one of the reasons why, you know, students bring their laptops to school and they plunk away and they put all the information in or they read the PowerPoints or whatever, but they don't actually physical, physically write. And then when they have to go in and physically write at a test, mm. they, they don't have access to the actual mechanism of recall that like their recall system is not the same as the input system. And so they, their recall isn't as high. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. like like 15% wow. of less, right? So it's like your That's 80 just became 65. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, wow. right? Well, I certainly know that the, you know some of the studies that show that taking notes by hand, forget typing them mm. in, taking notes by hand is the best way to learn. I'm totally, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. I know that when we do any exercises yeah. in therapy or whatever, it's to handwrite yeah. a letter if yeah. you're doing a, a letter exercise, say. Yeah. Typing it out is not going to have the same impact, yeah. you know, yeah. and doing it in your own language, too. Exactly. Yeah. Because humor is so specific culturally yep. when we talk about that. Totally. That, you know, someone from another country is not going to get my sense of humor. They're going to think, this guy is really weird. And I can see that in the, in, in our foreign students. Yeah. You know, that are like... What? Yeah, don't get that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. So here's some factoids, some little factoids that are kind of interesting. Um, 90% of men and 81% of women report having a sense of humor is a crucial characteristic when they look for a romantic partner. I agree. Okay. Humor and honesty were the two highest ranked attributes. I agree. Humor becomes more important in a relationship as commitment grows. Oh, God, yes. Right? Because it helps you be resilient, <laughs> among other things. So women rate humorousness or humor in men. Is humorousness a word? I just heard myself humor? say it. Anyway. I don't know. It is um, now. It is. It sounds like ridiculous. <laughs> it's a ridiculous word. So women rate uh, humorous men more as more desirable than non-humorous humorous men. I could see that. Yeah, but only if... They are ranked the same on attractive attractiveness. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. okay. Men don't consider humans humor significant in a relationship and still rank attractiveness as their top priority when they're thinking of a woman. Well, of course. There we go. No big no, surprise. I don't agree with that at all. Um, humorous people are perceived as less intellectual than non-humorous people. <laughs> Okay. And we're going to talk about this because it depends on what kind of humor. Humor it is, yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Because if I said something like uh, helium walks into a bar and asks for a drink and the bartender says, sorry, we don't serve noble gases here, <laughs> and then helium doesn't react, bah, ha, ha, right? Like, <laughs> what does that convey, right? It, 
maybe it might convey maybe a certain kind of intellectual that capacity. Class. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so, and people who use self-deprecating humor are perceived as more desirable, especially if they're actually physically attractive. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because some of the, some of the really big names, I'm thinking of women uh, that run, to, you know, in mind right now would be Phyllis Diller. And Joan Rivers, mm. uh, both of them did such amazing deprecating humor mm-hmm. uh, that it was like, wow. And they were, you know, huge, absolutely huge. Well, there's a gender component to that too, right? Because self-deprecation as the primary delivery mechanism for humor is uh, female-specific. It's more accepted for women to do that than it is for men. Because I couldn't even name a man right now. Yeah, there you go. Cool. On that note, because we're going to have to look that up. Um, We are going to take a break here, and uh, you're listening to Things Worth Considering, the funny side of the world. And we will be (laughs) back right after these messages. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back to Things Worth Considering. I'm Gord Vidal and I'm here with Dr. Jan Hill. And we're discussing everything you ever needed to know about humor and it's worth considering. So... Where are we? We're going to talk about the McMaster study. Yes. Well, I I don't know much about that one. Yeah, this is really interesting. So over at McMaster University, they studied uh, humor, and they studied the social implications of humor, and they studied... uh, They're so progressive there, you know. I know. Great university, actually. Yeah, they are really great. Um, So here's their findings, basically, is... And this is kind of a bit of a shocker. Um, There was no evidence that suggests that men actually prefer a humorous woman over a non-humorous woman. Or that, in fact, women prefer prefer humorous women over a non-humorous woman. So there doesn't seem to be, if you're a female, there doesn't seem to be any social impact of being funny or not. Wow. Right? In terms of desirability, right? Um, However, women will choose, as I had mentioned before the break, will choose a humorous man over a non-humorous man, even if they perceive that guy as being less intelligent and less honest. Right? Okay, so say that again. Yeah. So we all got it. So if you if you have a humorous guy yep. who is perceived as being less intelligent and less honest, women will still choose him over a non-humorous guy who they perceive as being honest and intelligent. Really? Scary, huh? And this is wow. true. This is the kicker. This is true even if... The woman choosing the guy doesn't actually find the guy funny. Oh, that's tragic. Yeah. So it's if the guy thinks he's funny. Right. Right? He laughs at his own jokes. Yeah. Like me. Yeah. There <laughs> we go. Right. So this is the really weird thing is I'm what's wow. the social message there, right? Is that yeah. Is that guys just go out, take a risk, try and be funny. And, and uh, life's a get charm. The girl every time. You'll get the girl every time. 
Really? Exactly, right? Isn't that interesting? It, actually, it is. It mm-hmm. is. But a woman being humorous has no no value. Right. Really? Uh, yeah. Unless she's a really good stand-up. Unless she's a good stand-up, <laughs> right? The way she was Ba-ba. Cases, Which it kind of explains, right, why it is that uh, women comedians, up until relatively recently, right, like women comedians and the popularity, the popularity that they have now is a relatively new thing in the world of entertainment. Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I mean, people, you know, like I just mentioned her, like, you know, Phyllis Diller and so on. I mean, yeah. they were really broke the doors down. Yeah. Uh, Lucille Ball, right? Oh, she was hysterical. And they, they demonstrate a certain kind of humor. We're going to talk about those kinds of humor in a second. But it. Uh, let's talk about the styles of humor that people have. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, so p- people who use jokes. As I said, I'm not really a big joke uh, uh, teller. Uh, occasionally, I might hear one that will crack me up, but then I can't remember the ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's an affiliative style, right? Yeah. Okay. So that means that it, it establishes a, a connection between people that, uh, uh, you know, I tell something and either people have to be part of my circle somehow in order to be. Yeah. You know, or my culture or whatever that circle might be. Yeah. Or they're trying to reduce tension or something. Yes. Right? So you, I mean, in your in-group, you'll tell a little joke or something like that, right? Right. Because otherwise people will start getting serious. Guys guys do this all the time. Right. You know, it's like, oh, you know, so-and-so just lost his mother. Hey, let's take him for a beer. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's, you know, we'll tell jokes and we'll talk about the hockey game and we'll talk about the baseball game and we'll talk about the Raptors. And uh, that's called talking about and helping him through his, his grief. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Guy style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Then there's self-enhancing okay. humor, right? Uh, a self-enhancing style of humor. So this is where people take tend to take a humorous approach to just about everything in life. And they use this perspective to cope with stress. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You know, I, I understand that one completely. Uh, not that not that just taking everything that's stressful and turning it into a comedy, but certainly it's at least I would say somewhere I will find something funny in some sort of craziness. Yeah, I kind of think of it as like the extreme version of the of the glass is half full. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Mine's yeah. three quarters. This is recorded. Exactly. Mine's so full it fell over. Uh, I took a drink. <laughs> um, okay, what about aggressive. the aggressive? Yeah, aggressive style. Really? Yeah, that's not that's not really my style at all. It's racist. It's a kind of probably brings in all the isms, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and that that just shows you know people start doing that, and I'm just like shut down, nowhere near it. I want to mm-hmm. leave. Uh, people who are really sarcastic. In a, in, a, in a biting way to, to yeah. people. Because I can use sarcasm very easily, but it's not not to hurt, you know, disparaging yeah. of others uh, for the purposes of amusement. Now, there were people like, uh, um, well, Joan Rivers, she did. Um, uh, I'm just trying to think of this one, one uh, Don Rickles. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He never sat in the first 10 rows when I went to see him live and was like, no, 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 I don't want to sit there because – he was going to pick on you. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But that was that was a style of humor that everybody liked, and and people were laughing not because I think not because it was so funny as much as they got it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Joan Rivers would make fun of like uh, someone's engagement ring. Right. You're getting married. You're Jewish. You you accepted that piece of crap. You yeah. know, that's like one of her classics. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Sort of yeah. thing. So it would it was always. You know, I mean, it was funny, but it was also, like, thank God she didn't pick on me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. Lisa, Lisa Campanella. So there's another one. She's uh, a current one okay. who who just goes for, you know, Hispanic, black, uh, 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 Asian, right. white. Doesn't matter. She's going to get you all. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. And, you know, it's interesting, right? Because sometimes with that style, people don't consider the consequences of their jokes, mm. right? And they are, the argument goes around the style is that they may be more concerned with entertaining people in the moment than actually um, considering the impact of the things that they're saying. This is this is makes sense though, like when you're doing improv or stand up where you have to free flow, right? Yeah. So the trick to doing that kind of stuff is actually to remove the filters. And so this is how you end up with uh, you know, five star comedians who end up, you know, destroying their careers by saying one or two things on stage that really should not have been said. They've trained their whole lives to get rid of those filters and then boof, they say something, they call somebody something that they shouldn't be saying, and then you know the next thing you know, they're in rehab. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of the the fellow from uh 
uh, Seinfeld. Yep. Who said something yep. wrong? The next thing he he's in rehab. What? Because you got a potty mouth? Yeah, I think he said the N word. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, but yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that's necessarily a rehab situation yeah. <laughs> unless you actually have a problem. It's, yeah. a, it's a place to to escape. Uh, yeah. uh, the, you know, everything around that. But yeah. Um, but yeah, the same, the, the other side of that would be. Uh, if people are paying fifty, a hundred, one hundred fifty dollars to go hear somebody who they know will use this kind of humor, then that they're not going to be offended by it. Well, that's the hope. Well, I would hope right? not. I would <laughs> hope that the they hope. would recognize who they are. That's the hope in the entertainment industry. <laughs> is if you come to see me, then you got to take what I'm giving you, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, if people went to see, you know, any of the people that I just mentioned, or if they went to see like Robin Williams or, or anything like you knew, like mm-hmm. where this is going to go, mm-hmm. you know, but so. That's partly because in a lot of times in entertainment, I think that that the um, social feedback loop isn't uh, valued in the same way, right? So entertainment is about somebody standing there or producing something that's creative or whatever, and then you show it. So you are the observer of the audience. So right. you're not expected, like how you interact with that is not, with, with what you're observing is not perceived as being uh, of primary importance. Of course, in the creative process, everybody's thinking about how are people going to interact with this? How can I evoke that feeling? How can I do this kind of thing? So, so the creator's interested in the feedback loop, but but in terms of the performance, often depends on the performer. Often the performer is not so interested in that feedback loop. They're interested in putting that energy out there. And whatever happens when the energy goes out there, that's up to the interpretation of the audience. Yeah, so yeah. it's not that important. And this is an important thing about humor, right? Which gets us into, into trouble, right? Because the fourth kind is actually self-defeating uh, humor where we might use self-disparaging jokes or laugh along with others, right, and, and disparage them. And it's, it's, it's often thought that people use this kind of humor as a way to find social acceptance. And the mm-hmm. idea here is that people have an implicit feeling of negativity, so they use self-disparaging or disparaging humor as a way to re- release their negative self-talk, right, in a way that make other people... Uh, not take it so seriously that their their negative feelings so seriously. Well, that's I think that's one. I guess where I was going with that yeah. was um, that's also sort of the place of uh, bullying. Right. Exactly. That's exactly where the place of bullying right. takes place. Is that by by basically targeting that person or or a small group of people or whatever, and and doing disparaging comments, then going along with those comments, you know, brings right. you to that side. And separates you from who the target is. Right, for sure. And I just see that as being a place of bullying. Right, and it can be that also that place, right, where people say, oh, you know, I thought I I didn't mean to offend you. And and then it's a blame the victim thing, right, where it's like, oh, I'm sorry you're offended by my sense of humor, but it's not my responsibility to, you know, filter my sense of humor, curtail it, or to manage it at all, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a cop-out. Exactly, right? If you have to... to, uh, 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 apologize for what you just said. Uh, <laughs> then there was, I don't know, there seems to be some intent behind it. Yeah, then you've forgotten too about the social interactive nature of humor. Yes, right? yeah, yeah. And it's, it's uh, you know, humor, humor carries so many different elements to it in terms of how we interpret it. Yeah. You know, um, you know, so, uh, let's, you know, let's, let's talk about types of humor. Cause I want to talk about humor, like in the therapy area, okay. you know, or, or even in a classroom, like mm-hmm. it can like devastate people mm-hmm. and it can also lift people up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a really intuitive element that has to be mm-hmm. in play there. You know, um, I, you know, I love physical humor. Yeah. Uh, that, that to me, it makes me laugh. Lucille Ball is, remains the queen of all times. Uh, she's still, it's just amazing. She is still, all of these years later, is still on the air. Yeah. I mean, it's dedication. Uh, awesome. She's awesome. The, uh, there wasn't quite as humor, uh, but I, I, I thought the Golden Girls were hysterical. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As well, yeah. you know, especially Sophia, the, the, the one who played the mother. Right, know, With that right. purse. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that she just carried around and said, and, and, and she, she said whatever hit her head hit her lips. Right, you know, right, right. Unedited, and that, that I thought was hysterical as well. Um, but, yeah, physical humor is one of the funniest ones for me. And I so, think what's important about, like, have you ever noticed that, so somebody, I don't know, falls down a manhole or something like that, right? It's like, it's interesting because when you watch that, it's funny, perhaps. But when you watch somebody else watching that, 
then it's hilarious, right? Yes. Because it creates yes. an extra distance and it creates that thing about, so what's actually funny is not so much the person falling down the manhole cover, it's actually the person's response to, to the person down falling the down the manhole cover, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is part I mean, of that well, human that experience. Facial experience, you know, facial expressions. Yeah. Uh, 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 Jim Carrey, uh, he was he was hysterical when he could do it with his face. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly, you know, right? Yeah, there's some 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 that just just uh, that look or a stare or something can just be to me can just be so hysterical. Yeah, right? their their faces. Yeah. Um, then there's the illogical ones. Uh, Monty Python. I know. Hysterical. The silly the life walk. of Brian. Oh. So irreverent. Okay. Blasphemous, and it's hysterical. I think probably everybody of a certain age has their favorite Monty, Monty Python moment. Yeah, Mine's yeah. the silly walk. Oh, there's a silly walk. That's exactly. hilarious, right? Exactly. Mine, mine was the life of Brian, where the three wise men arrive uh, for Jesus, but they get sent over to another another manger, and there's Brian. Yeah. And uh, so they end up following Brian around, and then Brian is crucified at the end. And it's, it's one of the funniest, weirdest things um, that I've ever seen. I love it. Exactly. Yeah. And then another kind, another type is improv, improvisation, and we've kind of talked a bit about that, but part of what makes improv funny is that we actually know as the observer, uh, as the observer that it's not planned, right? right? So that so the idea is that we consciously believe that we're not being manipulated the way a planned humorous thing would be manipulated. Absolutely. Right? Like I, loved, I loved when I studied improv. Yeah. And you know who's a master, the absolute master is Tim Conway. Yeah, he's hilarious. Tim Conway on the Carol Burnett show, mm-hmm. uh, the dentist, mm-hmm. hysterical, mm-hmm. and when he does his Siamese elephants. Mm-hmm. It is such, uh, both of them are so funny. Uh, you can get them on YouTube uh, and look them up. Um, but yeah, Tim Conway, he was a master because nobody knew in any skit where he would suddenly take off and go into improv. Well, right, and that's part of the magic of improv, right, Is is we're actually watching somebody else's process so you know don't you find yourself watching watching um um improv artists hoping especially if they're interacting with one another right hoping that they're going to start laughing yeah 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 absolutely i mean that's what you're watching with the cabinet show is what you're watching them crack up yeah exactly yeah absolutely another type is uh wit or wordplay right so this is puns and twisted language right okay so did you hear about the chef that died he passed away. Ah. Ah, that's an old one. What about this one? Why are frogs so happy? Why? They eat whatever bugs them. <laughs> okay, you know what? That's funny. That's good observation. Yeah. What about this one, Gord? Gord, would you like to be the sun in my life? I would. You're sure. supposed to say yeah. Okay. Okay, yes. Yeah. Then stay 92.96 million miles away from me. <laughs> right? All right. Observational. Jerry Seinfeld. Yep. A show about nothing yep. that was hysterical. The ability to poke fun at everyday life. Absol- yes. Right? And that's, that's what I love. That's what I love to do as well, mm-hmm. is how, how we get so worked up over such ridiculousness. Right. How about toilet humor? Toilet humor. Sex humor. Yep. yep. Exactly. Yep. That's real popular, especially with guys. Yep. Although I've heard some pretty body ones from women, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what they call bodily humor. So humor about bodily functions or whatever. Yeah. 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 And dark. Dark, dark humor. humor. I can't even think of what dark humor would be, but I think like South Park sometimes. Oh, yeah, for sure. Maybe The Simpsons. The Simpsons. Aspects of that, right? Yep. Anything that looks at depressing underlying issues in society or your personal life and it throws something comical into it. Okay. You know what? We're going to come back and we're going to shed some light on the dark side of humor. And we'll be right back to Things Worth Considering. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. 
This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. Uh, I'm Gord Riddell, and I'm here with Dr. Jan Hill, and this is Things Worth Considering, and we're talking about humor. A big part of everyone's life, I hope, Um, but we also want to take a look at uh, what does it mean to be uh, humorous? Well, having a humorous life. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Humorous life for me is, is, you know, it's like that optimism, pessimism, half full, Mm -hmm. half empty. Mm -hmm. I think it's a choice. Yeah. You know, well, your no life. What's going on? I try to find. I try to find somewhere some sort of humor in it. Yes. Somewhere that somewhere down the road, I'm going to be able to turn this into a story. Right. Your life <laughs> to me, Gord, is a joke. It, <laughs> bah, bah. Dum, dum. Dum, dum. That could be kind of. by that? That could be kind of dark humor. That could be very dark humor. Right. Do you think it in is a way? A joke? I don't know. Can you call my therapist? How do you feel? I don't exactly. Know. Call my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So how does uh, humor work, right? What makes something funny? There's a whole bunch of people talking about this. What makes something funny? I know. That's what's so amazing. Right? How to kill a joke. Eh? How to kill a joke. Yeah. So you try yeah. and take it apart. So there's a guy named uh, 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 Pete McGraw, Peter McGraw. He's the lead researcher at the human, what's it, what's it called? The Humor Research Lab at the University of Colorado in Boulder. <laughs> and he he's interested in what makes things funny, and he's got this. They smoke a lot of marijuana there. In they Colorado might, now, right? You know. They might, and he's got this sort of tidy little theory that he calls the benign violation theory. And what he says is that humor occurs when there's three conditions that are satisfied, and the first condition is that you have to have some overarching element that's benign. So meaning that you can't have, uh, you have to have a theme that doesn't feel immediately threatening. Okay, it's right? not tragic. Or, yeah, yeah, right. So that, you know, it, it holds your interest, right? So yeah. it's something you can relate to, but you don't feel threatened by it in the moment. And okay. the second is that there must be a violation of the social norm. Okay. And the third condition is, is that these two things have to actually happen at the same time. So you have to have a benign observation or something. I will never come up with another joke again, having to work with these two things. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, and and this is the funny thing, right? Because the idea is that we just do it magically. You just make up a funny joke or say something that's funny in the moment. And mm-hmm. yet at the same time, when you take it apart, you actually recognize that there are elements that are common in humor. Yeah, absolutely. See, absolutely. academics can like rip apart anything. I sure can. Right. Um. <laughs> so a violation can be something that is uh, transgressive of, say, transgresses what we think of as being normal or expected. Okay. Right? Yep. And absolutely. this is a common idea that comes up in the research over and over is that we're plodding along in our joke or our idea or our situation and everything's sort of going normal. And then all of a sudden there's a switch up, a change of perspective, something unexpected happens and we're taken by surprise. Right. right. I mean, that's what so much comedy is based on. Yeah. You know, is that you didn't really see that kind of, you know, happening, whether it was in a sitcom or, or in a movie or something like yeah. that. Uh, yeah. Like, like uh, something that would be totally bizarre, like, is a do- uh, dogs cleaning up their own poop. Dogs cleaning their poop? Or do you mean owners cleaning their poop? I think dogs cleaning their own poop would be very funny. Oh, or dogs following their owners and having their owners do it. Now, you okay, see, so I go to my brain of, like, how would a dog clean up its own poop? Well, yeah, but if you're an alien, then that would just be the norm now. Okay, I'm totally lost. This Where's is alien? about Bring context. your alien in. You're always talking about your alien. I love my aliens. Exactly. Right, uh, right, right, right. <laughs> 
Um, but no, that's that's an idea of, I see what you're saying. So that's an idea of distantiation, right? Is that that what actually happens is a violation is, is benign. Something is benign or there's an unexpected turn of events that makes it sort of less benign when you introduce this different point of view. So if you have an alien watching people cleaning up their dog poop, right? It would look like that, you know, these dogs are like creating these amazing little gifts on the sidewalk, right? <laughs> that people are running to clean up and, you know, whatever, yeah. right? Now, there's a show here about that. There's yeah. There's a show called Little Britain. Okay. Don't know and, that. And and the, the, the one person is taking out uh, this dog and, and it's kind of on a boulevard. In other words, there's traffic on both sides. Okay. So, you know, makes it do its thing on this boulevard. Well, then all of a sudden the dog says, all right, now it's your turn, and and he's, he forces ah. he forces the person now to you know she's squatting down. It's actually a guy in, in a dress, but he she's squatting down behind a bush, and he goes, "All right, now I'm going to watch you do it, just like you watch me." And yeah, like oh, I can't do this, and it just like the whole thing turns around, and then of course then the police come in uh, and arrest her for doing doing these things in public. Okay, so there's a point of view shift. Absolutely, a perspectival shift. It is so funny because exactly. not only that, but the dog's going, all right, honey, it's time for you to squat down behind the bush. And I'm going to watch you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so funny because it's this dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway. Okay, so I have a slightly off uh, <laughs> left of center. Yeah, so there's an, a couple other things that make something benign, right, or not threatening is, like, it's the psychological distance that we've already sort of talked about. Something can be happening to somebody else, right? Yep. Or that the harm is not obvious. So somebody falls down the manhole cover and they're fine, right? And you go, that was hilarious when you wiped out, right? The second <laughs> thing is that um, you're not actually committed to the violation, right? So which means mm-hmm. that, uh, um, the moral transgression or whatever happening in the joke doesn't actually offend you. So if you were to make a, uh, if you were to state a racist racist comment, thinking it's funny, for example, to somebody who is committed to anti-racism, yes, right, that obviously wouldn't be funny. Yep. To that person, right? So this is why the social context is is so important, and that's where we end up with people saying, "But I thought it was funny," and other people saying, "Really." Yes, thought my pain and anguish was funny. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's so far from it. Yeah, and the third thing, and maybe this fits in with South Park and The Simpsons, right? Um, the third thing is that there's distance created or or the violation doesn't feel so, it feels more benign, it doesn't feel threatening when it's in a cartoon or we know it's play fighting. Absolutely. Or we it's know it's animated. a mock attack, right? That yep. kind of thing, right? I agree. I agree on that one completely. And that's maybe how some of the, if you think about uh, some of the Simpsons or the South Park uh, episodes are pretty, you know, they challenge, right? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah right. They, mm. <laughs> but at the same time, because it's a cartoon. It, it doesn't, it's not as threatening. That's where the benign comes in. Yeah. If that was people doing that, we would probably find that incredibly offensive. Yeah. You know, but but uh, I think that's you know when you're talking about you know it has to be the benign violation. That benign is the fact that they're cartoon characters. Right. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, because yeah. some of this stuff is really really out there. Yeah. Really really out there. And you know what I like about this theory too is this idea of benign violation also helps. Well, it explains why things are funny and explains why things aren't funny. Right. Differences in people. Right. Yeah. But it also explains nervous laughter. Oh yeah, yeah. Because we might feel there's some sort of violation going on that uh, that others don't see, right? Right. So it makes us laugh, and then the person who doesn't see it looks across and says, "Oh, it must be nervous laughter," <laughs> right? Yep, like I just did. <laughs> ha, ha. Uh, right. Yeah, people. I think people sometimes when we laugh at our own jokes, it's because we're not 100 percent certain that this is really that funny. Yeah. When we throw it in, um, but you know. We we really gauge ourselves though with people, um, you know, in terms of how they respond to us on one on one with laughter yeah. or a smile or whatever. You know, I I've always you know pretty much been able to been able to gauge where someone is at in terms of their vulnerability, and say at the end of a session and when I would use humor. No, right, right, right. You know, just sort of just lift them a little bit that they're walking out with a smile on their face and not scare everybody else in the waiting room. Um, mm. But th- I can remember one time, and it was someone who I was quite close to, uh, or would eventually become quite close to when she came to work for us. Uh, she's passed away now, unfortunately. But uh, I can remember I misjudged her where she oh. was at in terms of her vulnerability. Right. And I said something. 
and she just you know went along and go you know fine i never thought twice about it until she came in the next week and said i'm furious at you i'm just so furious mm. uh and and what happens is, is that we can feel incredibly judged if we miss if we miscalculate right where that person is at right. whether it's a student or a client in therapy or whatever if we misjudge that it, it, or, or, or misread that they feel so judged exactly and right so so and, you know humor doesn't always lighten up the world it can make us feel incredibly judged and that's a piece that we talked about just earlier about bullying right yeah you know, where you have a disparaging remark and and other people take part in that it's the same thing. It's all about perception, right? Yep. And it's all about you... perception, but it's about our perception of judgment. Right. And that laughter, the one thing that actually does all of these great things for us, um, in terms of the endorphins, that it makes us feel better, it feels good, uh, uh, actually is also used to feel very judged by people. Yeah. You know. Well, it's you a know, risk. Yeah. Right? Well, it is a risk. It is a risk. It's absolutely. risk-taking behavior when you tell a joke or you yeah. know, tend to bring... Want to bring humor into things. Yeah, I'm kind of a risky guy. Right? Because Yeah, because it's part of it is we don't know how other people are going to take it. We can only, we make assumptions. We make it, absolutely. Right? Yeah, and we assume that everybody's just like me. They're yeah. not. Yeah. Uh, you know, another thing with laughter I wanted to bring in is Norman Cousins. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Norman Cousins got, became very, very ill. Uh-huh. And uh, what he did was he went and he got, uh, for his kind of humor, would be like the Three Stooges. Oh, yeah, yeah. All of that. He locked himself away. Yeah. And he watched and laughed and laughed nonstop for days. Yeah. Uh, 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 nothing but humor. And he actually, and it was cancer. He actually was cured of it. Yeah. Laugh therapy. Yeah, laugh it's called therapy. laugh therapy. Yeah. yeah. I think it is. It does. You know, laughter is the best medicine. Yeah, and so there's uh, he has a some, book out, by the way, about some, that. Yeah, so there's yeah. some theoretical, um, maybe it's not even that theoretical anymore, but uh, stuff on why that actually happens, right? So it's the flooding of the body with endorphins. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that kind of stuff, all those different neurotransmitters that actually uh, heal. Actually, this is interesting because Sophie Scott is a neuroscientist. Yeah, she talk. talks about the purpose of laughter. And one of the things that she has, uh, she's on board with is this idea that um, it is that laughter heals neurologically. It heals the body, right? Hmm. And that there's two kinds of laughter, which uh, this shows up in social psych all the time. There's that kind of uh, voluntary laughter where you're like, ha, ah, that was really funny. Ha, ah, ha, where it's the social expectation to laugh, right? right. And then there's what they, th- there's this involuntary laughter that happens, right? Where something is just so Oof, funny, you cannot stop laughing, yes. right? My favorite. Um, and that invo- people are really good at telling the difference between voluntary and involuntary laughter, Right. <laughs> and so the involuntary laughter is higher. It's more gaspy. Posed laughter, the voluntary laughter has more of a predictable rhythm. And people, as you get older, you get better and better at telling the difference between this. Right? Really? Really? Yeah. Both of these kinds of laughter have completely different neural uh, pathways. Yes. And the um, and the primary purpose of the voluntary laughter is it's kind of a social laughter. It's to create bonding, right? Which we've already talked about. Her so uh, Sophie Scott's perspective is that this involuntary laughter, the primary purpose of that is actually physiological. It's to heal the body and restore the body. So wow. And she yeah. does uh, animal studies. So chimps laughed. All primates of all sorts laugh. Um, I I um, I think. She did studies with rats, and I could be wrong about this. Somebody did studies with rats. Rats laugh. And so what actually happens is they when you release this, they are laughing at you. They're laughing at us, right? <laughs> ha, ha. Right? How many of us do you have to kill? Ah. And But it's um, this whole idea is that the, it's the involuntary laughter that actually creates this neural uh, rejuvenation in the body. Interesting. Right? Yeah. You know what makes me laugh lately? What? Like really involuntarily laugh are some of these uh, uh, videos, like through Facebook, that are about kittens or cats. I know. And they're hysterical. When when a, a cat is scared and it just jumps straight up in the air. Yeah, yeah. Uh, n- nothing will make me laugh faster, harder than than l- these little animal things, like they're being scared or whatever. But yeah. then I do that in my real life. I go up behind animals and scare them. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. I know I shouldn't do that. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just so, kidding. Uh, but no, for some reason that that takes me right to a belly laugh. Yeah. So here's the thing. When you hear involuntary laughter, you listen more closely, right? And you're listening. You're looking for additional stimulus, 
so that you can understand the context of that hilarious laughing, that out of control laughing. So, so to understand it more deeply, you have to pay greater attention. When you hear voluntary laughter, the brain responds um, differently, right? Okay. It tries to figure out what exactly is funny in what has been heard. So right. it doesn't look for additional information. It goes into analytical mode. Really? Yeah. Isn't and, that cool? And then and then we'll and then we can actually start to laugh with that. Yeah, and then you go, oh, I get what's funny about that. Okay. Right. right. And we're now so part it's of more the group of an intellectual again. process. And we're back to being part of the group. Exactly. Right. So that's why late arrivals are always looking so perplexed. Perhaps. <laughs> yes. Right? Just, just you yeah. know, my my uh, subtle nuance of people who are late and try to get right there in the middle of it. Yeah. <laughs> There's tons and tons of benefits of humor yep. and of laughter itself, right? So uh, lots of studies suggest that there's more productivity. You think of, especially in the workplace, you think of, oh, I'm so distracted by my laughing. Well, as I said, Norman Cousins, you know, yep. actually uh, was cured. Yep. Enhances creativity. Yep. Promotes, uh, promotes connectivity, right? Boosts the immune. Yep. Boosts the immune. Increases, yep. improves overall health. Uh Lowers frustration and anxiety. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And you know what? I'm going into frustration and anxiety because we are out of time. I already. know. And we still have more jokes. I know. I know. A fast one. Okay. Why can't you trust an atom? Why? Because they make up everything. <laughs> bum, bum, okay. Bum. And on that note, uh, this is <laughs> Dr. Jan Hill and Gordon Dell. This is Things Worth Considering. And we hope that you have found something worth considering in our foray into the world of humor. And uh, we'll be back again next week. And we look forward to having you join us then. In the meantime, have a great week. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye now. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jan Hill and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.